You're listening to Halford and Bruff. Stretch pass, McDavid off the bench on a breakaway. He scores. Yeah, I thought we did a pretty nice job. You know, um, you know, I mean, this guy's all—he's a world, all world, right? O2 pitch, swing and a miss. Neris pumped up, and he is going to say something to Julio Rodriguez on his way off the mound. Two one, hit high, deep, and long gone by Aaron Judge. Good morning, Vancouver 601 on a Thursday. Happy Thursday, everybody. It is Halford. It is Bruff. It is Sportsnet 650. We are coming to you live from the Kintech Studios in beautiful Fairview Slopes in Vancouver. Jason, good morning. Good morning. Basketball Ben, good morning to you. Good morning. And Laddie, good morning to you as well. Hello, hello. Halford and Bruff of the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience a Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer. Today, we are in hour one of a jam-packed program. Hour one brought to you by everythingfinancial.com. Financial freedom awaits. Book your introductory meeting today. Visit them online at everythingfinancial.com. We are coming to you live from the Kintech studio, Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. So you know how we've been inching closer and closer to sports are back official? Mm-hmm. Sports are officially back as of last night. Last night was the first night that I skipped something I was supposed to do <laughs> to watch sports, and I had not one but two screens going at the same time, mm-hmm. both with Vancouver teams. I might add. And it was raining and cold. It was great. Everything that I love, except for the sedentary lifestyle, (laughs) sitting on a couch for approximately five hours. Yeah, your heart was like, please, no. He's like, put more potato chips in me. And I did. Uh, The guest list today begins at 6.30. Adam Stanley's going to join us. I can't keep track of the Ryder Cup start times. It's very confusing. So I think I got it right. It actually begins at 10.30 tonight. Our time. Our time which is early Friday morning in Italy. Yeah, it's a three-day event, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, the first two days. But but technically starts on Thursday in some parts of the world. Well, yeah, for us, I suppose, okay? It's a Thursday tournament as far as I'm concerned. It's not the only place that matters? It's not that hard. It's not that hard. So the tournament began yesterday at noon. <laughs> Adam Stanley began gonna, yesterday in New Zealand. I'm gonna, Adam Stanley's going to join us. I've actually taken some interest, and by that I mean I researched for more than ten minutes about the Ryder Cup. The Ryder, the Ryder Cup when it's in Europe is, I mean, the Ryder Cup in general is awesome, but I love it especially when it's in Europe. But the field is fantastic because three of the top four players in the world are European mm-hmm. right now, right? But the U.S. has depth of squad, and it looks like it's actually on paper it has the chance to be a very competitive. Ryder Cup, which could be fun. So 6.30, Adam Stanley's going to join us to talk about that. 7 o'clock, Adnan Verk. Uh, at last check, the Toronto Blue Jays have still not scored a run in, what is it, 18 consecutive innings? I don't Your whole know. life, I think. Your whole life. <laughs> Your whole, whole what life. It feels like. So it was funny because after yesterday's 6 nothing loss to the um, Yankees, manager John Schneider mm-hmm. was asked about what you have to do to hit elite pitching. <laughs> <laughs> And his, I think his answer is essentially like, everything that you guys are suggesting in media land, we need to do some of that. Not like, what we've been doing. He's like, str- and someone was the like, opposite of that. Someone was like, should you string base hits together? And he's like, that would be good. Mm-hmm. And they're like, what about hitting for power? And he's like, uh-huh. also that. That one, too. Yeah. And he's like, because we're doing none of that right now. So well, Garrett we, Cole's winning the side, right? Like, there's yes. no question yeah, pretty about much it. locked up. He's very yeah. good. He's very good at baseball. You mm-hmm. know who else is good at baseball? Ronald Acuna. 
He's very good at baseball. He's part of the 4070 club now. Yeah, and he is the only member of said club. <laughs> it's like a sad club, basically. Club of one. Yeah. yeah, it's a good club to be in. So we'll talk to Adnan about all that. We can also talk to him about the Cubs collapsing, too. Well, tell me when he joins the 7070 club. Right. That'll right? be tougher. Yeah. That will be tougher. Okay. But hey, dare to dream, Ronald Acuna Jr. High bar for Bruff. 730. The NBA decided to splash in on all of the sports. Be like, we're going to have the biggest trade of the year in all of the sports yesterday. Uh, Damian Lillard goes to Milwaukee. Bobby Marks is going to join us, ESPN NBA analyst. I love getting him on in the aftermath of trades because he worked as an assistant GM of the Nets. So if you go to his Twitter feed when a trade goes down, it is just way more information than you'd ever need right. about a trade. He's got the money coming in and coming out. He's got it written on a grease board, like, all the way down. So when Lillard went to uh, the Bucks, do you think the Raps were like, well, hmm, huh, where does that leave us? So I'll, I'll turn this one to Ben, because it's like, who would be, and I think I already know the answer to this, but who's more gutted by Lillard going to the Bucks? Is it the Raptors or is it the Heat? The Heat. Yeah. Because okay. the... Lillard was like, I want to go to you. Right. And they're like, great. We want you too. So yeah. I'll, I'll barge in with a, I'll barge in with a, uh, with a hockey analogy. Sweet. Uh, do you remind me of Dion Phaneuf? Do you remember when um, Johnny Gaudreau went to free agency and the Flyers, like everyone knew, like he would go to Philly for yeah. sure, and the Flyers mm-hmm. just couldn't make it work. You know like, what? That's find the cap space. That's actually is that apt, allowed? It's actually an apt comparison because I believe it was the Flyers and the Islanders that were expected to be the two teams mm. to go and get him. And then Johnny went to Middle America, right? Just like Dame Lillard did. So there you go. I uh, love the fact that a trade like this could happen in the NBA first and foremost, but also the fact that that trade involves uh, Milwaukee, Milwaukee as part of one of the biggest trades of the year. That's and just, amazing tampering to go to Milwaukee, <laughs> yeah. no less. So this is what a league. What a league. Bobby Marks is going to join us at 7.30 to talk about all that. 8 o'clock, it's the Drancer, Thomas Drance, fresh off the Canucks, 2-1 loss in overtime to Edmonton yesterday. No rest for the Canucks. They're back in action tonight uh, against the Kraken. So we'll talk to Drance about that. Reminder, Thursday night football, Lions-Packers in Green Bay. Lions favored by a point and a half. Uh, that one goes tonight and then the Ryder Cup later this evening. So it's a big day of sports. There's a lot going on. Working in reverse on the guest list. Drancer at 8, Bobby Marks at 7.30, Adnan Verk at 7, Adam Stanley at 6.30. Big show. Uh, without any further ado, Laddie, let's tell everybody what happened. Hey, did you guys see the game last night? No. Oh, what happened? I missed all the action because I was... We know how busy your life can be. What happened? You missed that? You missed that? What Happened is brought to you by the BC Construction Safety Alliance. Making safety simpler by giving construction companies the best in tools, resources, and safety training. Visit them online at bccsa.ca. It was a relatively tight, low-scoring affair between the Canucks and Oilers last night. We'll go right to how it ended, and we'll start there. Connor McDavid. Connor McDavid did not want to play any extra hockey last night. (laughs) So he said 55 seconds into overtime. Let's finish this thing. He scores on Casey DeSmith, who had a very good game for the Vancouver Canucks. Edmonton wins 2-1. Let's just hear the goal in Shorty's call. Last night, overtime, McDavid, winner. Hughes going to try to get to the bench. No, he's not. He's going to try to defend, but McDavid's behind him. He's in. He deeps. He scores. Just broke this one. 55 seconds into overtime. The Oilers take it 2-1. God. 
God, do I hate that stupid Oilers horn. They went a little aggressive with the horn it is, for... It is the easily it, the worst horn in the NHL. Yeah. It's like, hey! That is actually how it sounds. Yeah, it's like it's like it's someone blowing their nose. I'm sure all of you our know, listeners like, appreciate it. The That's Oilers so win. That's really good. Right? Like, it's yeah. just awful. It's Nasally. just... It's it's na- it's a nasally horn, right? Tall. And the Oilers score. Hey. Want to hear the most annoying sound in the world? Yeah. It's it's pr- it's honestly basically our show right now. It's pretty close. It's pretty. pretty. Uh, even McDavid didn't like. He didn't celebrate at all. He was like, "Let's get out of here. This horn's gonna keep going off." It's like you're doing the horn again. Ah, oh, for God's sake. Anyway, overall, uh, the Canucks played. <laughs> Much better game than their game in Calgary on Sunday, and it probably helped to have guys like Quinn Hughes out there who played a lot and played well. Uh, got caught on trying to make a change in uh, overtime. Got to work on your game management. That's a bad idea against Connor McDavid. He's like, oh, Quinn Hughes is going off the ice. Well, I'm going to go for a breakaway, and then Evan Bouchard gave him a nice pass, and then, hey. See, I like to think that Hughes, as a captain, also understood that nobody wanted to play. <laughs> right? That's a that's good leadership. Where you're like, you guys want this to be over? Because I'll go for a change and let McDavid in on a breakaway. I've got an assignment for the listeners now. Text into the Dunbar Lumber text line at 650-650. Who were you impressed with? Just one name, though. You can't give multiple names. Just one name. And normally I say I want a reason, but I actually don't want a reason. I just want to, because there was one guy in particular that I'll bring up that... I thought played really well, and that is Teddy Bluger. And he was great on the PK, um, even had some scoring chances. Um, but the PK stuff is, for me, that was the most important thing. It's almost like, Jason, that if you bring in a guy that knows how to penalty kill and has a long history of success in it in the National Hockey League, mm. he'll make your penalty kill better. I know, it's hard to believe. So uh, I'm going to read an early what we learned. This made me laugh out loud as I read it. Uh, came in before the show, 5.45 in the morning, what we learned. It was jarring to see a number 53 out there that knows how to kill a penalty. Oh, right? Choosing violence that early in the morning. Accurate, but it's, it, I mean, it was funny, right? Like, Bo... Bo <laughs> oh, was, is that the joke? Bo was, oh. Bo was a lot of lot of things, and he was like, it was a good goal scorer, but like he was not a good penalty killer. And the Canucks have not had many good penalty killers for the last few years. We were talking yesterday with Mark Spector is like, you know, Brandon Sutter's trying to make the Edmonton Oilers. He was a really good penalty killer. Like people, people didn't want to give certain guys on that team any credit whatsoever because they kind of represented failure, right? Like Brandon Sutter, they brought him in there and they, you know, Jim Benning acted like he was going to be this like really important player. And at the end of the day, Brandon Sutter was a third line center in the NHL. And the same went for Louis Erickson, right? It was a disastrous free agent signing. Those guys knew how to kill penalties. Mm -hmm. Like they were legit at it. But of course you weren't going to say, well, they were definitely worth it. You know, all the cap space and assets that were given up to acquire those guys. It wasn't worth it just for them to be able to kill penalties. But the Canucks have lost a bunch of good penalty killers over the years. And it looks like now they finally actually started to replace some of them. So for me... Talk had praise for Teddy Bluger, by the way. Yeah, for me, Teddy Bluger was... There were actually quite a bit of... uh, Quite a few good stories from last night, especially in comparison to Sunday's game in Calgary where we're all just like, none of them did anything, right? You know, and Pod Colson was getting lit up on this show. and But right now, there's a lot of people texting in with different names 
That's and a this, good thing. this was the point of the kind of exercise, right? Uh, so a lot of people have texted in with Teddy Bluger. Our Steve Baines was getting a lot of love, too. And I think on this show, we're all cheering for a guy like Baines to make an impact in the NHL, to go from undrafted local guy to, to come in, do everything that was asked for last season down in Abbotsford, and maybe now he's got a chance to start the season in Vancouver. I still think it's a bit of a, lo- a long shot. But at least he's got a chance. A lot of people weighing in with two words, Casey and DeSmith, which I guess is two and a half words. That's, that's just a standard name. Two a and first a half. name and a last name. Well, technically it's two and a half words. Okay. Um, although there's no space between the Dunn and the Smith. He had 27 saves last night. He looked sharp. The fir- first period, it looked like it could have got away from the Canucks because McDavid was buzzing. He was full of energy. You know how he loves playing an exhibition game, so he was flying around. But between some good penalty killing and some very good work on behalf of DeSmith, they were able to make that. You know what? A low event game, all things told. The shot totals didn't run up, and there wasn't really a ton of goal scoring, right? There was just the two in regulation and the one in overtime. DeSmith played a large role in that. I think the guys in front of him did. Talk it afterwards. Had a lot of praise for a lot of different guys, and we'll run through some of them. Mm -hmm. But the one takeaway that I had was that he actually made a point of saying, yeah, we got to clean some things up. I still felt like we took too many risks at times. And I was like, what game were you watching? Like It was very, (laughs) very low event. But if you're trying to— that's what he wants, man. Exactly. He wants low event. If you're trying to glean anything from the preseason, the best way to do it is don't look at the end results and don't look at the scores and don't look at who's putting up points and assists and don't even look at who's playing. But look at the way those guys are playing and what the coach wants. So Tockett said very clearly, we had two good days of practice where we hammered down and boiled down on what we wanted to do. System, structure, et cetera, et cetera. Then he said, we went out and executed pretty well. It was a 2-1 game where neither team got more than 30 shots on net. Like, I think if you're going to see something this year, it's going to be a lot more low event hockey from this team by design. Dakota Joshua played better. Uh, He was challenged by the head coach, Rick Tockett. And... um, Talking, by the way, did mention yesterday something about his fitness. Yeah. Right? Like, I think it was pretty obvious that what was an, an annoyed Rick Tockett, part of it was that his fitness isn't great. Dakota Joshua's, right? Mm-hmm. He, he put the challenge out to everyone on the team. Come to camp in shape. Be prepared to work. Don't think that anything's going to be given to you. And Dakota Joshua needed a kick in the butt. Yeah. And he went out and played like it yesterday. Tockett also said, though, to be fair, he's like, this is just a step. Yeah, it's just a step. Because he can't keep having to kick the guy no, in the ass no to get a perform- to do that. To do, you know what I mean? He can't cattle prod a guy 82, 82 times a year. He's going to have to have. And that was probably another reason why Tockett was so frustrated. It was, it was mm-hmm. like, not only are you not in tip-top shape, but we talked about this a lot. Like, it was a, it was a pretty big thing going into camp. Can I tell you the surprise of the preseason for me? Well, I know the answer. I don't even. We didn't talk about it, but I know the answer. But go ahead. The surprise of the preseason for me is that Jack Studnika is actually noticeable out there. Kind of forgot he was on the team during the summer. Not gonna lie, kind of yeah. forgot he was on the team. And, and I heard, you know, a few people uh, at training camp were talking about how Jack Studnika looked, you know, engaged out there, and he was he was active. And I was like, I'm not giving this much attention <laughs> because I'm, I'm with you. because I, I I saw Jack Stadnika play in actual games last season I was like this guy is this guy's not a player mm-hmm. she's trying to prove me wrong and he's on his way he yeah he's actually noticeable out there he's doing things right mm-hmm. like when I watched him last season came over in, in a trade to Vancouver from Boston and 
And I was like, what? How? How is this guy even impressive in the Bruins AHL team? Like, he doesn't. What is Jack Studnika? He doesn't do anything. Mm -hmm. He's just kind of skating around out there. But now he's actually like trying to do stuff. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I think that's very important in hockey to like when you do, you know, do things as opposed to do nothing. Although with this low event system, the Canucks may be, I don't know. But anyway, you're talking to him like too many things. Enough with the shot attempts. But he had five of them last night, by the way. Um, So I, you know, it is interesting because you talked about all the guys at forward that were discussed at length and still are being discussed at length. And the new guys, for obvious reason, there's an intrigue. And what are they going to add to the group? And then you had the bounce back youngsters with Huglander and Pod Colson, mm-hmm. that they were obviously going to be big stories. What's going to, you know, can their trajectory go in a different direction? You had Joshua getting called out. You have Mikhaev's knee injury. You talked about every other forward on the team, right. except for Studnika. And that's just by nature and by design. But good on him for making a show. And uh, he was one of the guys that did play well last night. Uh, so we'll talk to Drance a little bit more about the Canucks later on in the show. The Canucks do play again tonight in Seattle. And last night in Edmonton, they kind of went with their first line and their first defensive pairing. We didn't even talk about Cole McWard, who I thought played well with Quinn Hughes. Mm-hmm. Um, and tonight they're kind of going to go with their second line and their second pairing. So tonight we'll see Miller and Besser. And I don't know who's going to be playing with Miller and Besser, could be Beauvillier, it could be, I don't know, maybe they throw Pod Colson back in there and give him another chance. But we're also going to see Hironic yep. and Ian Cole. That'll probably be the de facto top pair tonight against Seattle. Oh, and by the way, for those that didn't watch it, Edmonton had a fair number of their high-end guys in the lineup, right? McDavid, Drysaddle, Nuge. Patrick Kane, or Patrick Kane, Evander Kane, I got Patrick Kane on the brain. Uh, Hyman, Bouchard, Nurse, and Skinner. So it was a good test. For the Canucks last night, who didn't have as many of their top guys in the lineup. Uh, do we want to move on to some of the other things that happened? Because this is a sports show. Um, yeah, yeah. Okay. What, what do you want next? Well, there's, we got to talk about the, we got to talk about baseball. We got to talk about the Jays real quick because the Jays have now gone silent, dead silent in two consecutive games. They got shut out six nothing by Garrett Cole and the New York Yankees yesterday. That after losing two nothing the night before. So. The Jays are still in the driver's seat for that playoff spot. Yeah, That's fan, the important takeaway, right? Fangraphs gives them a 90.1% chance of making the playoffs. See, now, Fangraphs is assuming that they'll score another run, right? <laughs> well, they're, they're two games up with four to play. No, I know. That's all there is to it. But now they're just they're wasting like where they're like they're they're putting themselves up against it. They they run the risk of going into the playoffs with bad offensive vibes. You Why would might, they do it easy? Why would they make it easy for the fans? Yeah, God forbid, right? Uh, Seattle lost again last night. Yeah, they, they're, they're the ones that are looking like they're going to miss. Fangraphs gives them 27% chance. Astros, 84%. Texas, 99%. Yeah, and it was a bit, a bit of a, a, a dust-up between the Mariners and the Astros last night. Things got feisty. The benches mm-hmm. got cleared. Then Houston went on to win 8-3. So the playoff picture is taking shape. Uh, Houston is doing enough to get in. The Rangers are in, and then Seattle's basically falling off a cliff, and the Jays will kind of limp their way through. How disrespectful, though, just chirping Julio in his own house. I know. While beating them, possibly knocking them out of the playoffs. So that, that, series, all over the place. that series got feisty the night before because in the blowout win by Seattle, someone got, I can't remember who it was, one of the Astros batters got drilled with like a 100-mile-an-hour fastball in the back. And Dusty Baker. McCormick, was, I believe. Yeah, and Dusty Baker got all upset about it. So I knew that there was going to be some bad blood lingering over. Uh, we got just a couple minutes to run through the rest of the story. So the Whitecaps were in action last night to finish their seven-game road trip. wasn't all seven in a row. They did have a break in there. Uh, but they finished off their stretch of seven games on the road with a 2-2 draw 
against the worst team in MLS or one Tied of the worst teams. For the worst team. Colorado. Um, they were down 2 1, so I guess credit to them for the White Caps points. Yeah. 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 It was an ugly second half. It looked like the team was exhausted. I chalk it up to playing a bunch of games on the road and then finishing at altitude endeavor. But they also managed to look terrible against the worst team in MLS. So that's not a good thing. That trip ended very badly. For what the uh, w- was there an update on Ryan Gold? Because he was forced to leave with a slight injury, wasn't no, he? No, no update. It looked precautionary because he was still buzzing around at the time where he got subbed off. But uh, Vanny made a bunch of subs in the second half, including the rare triple sub, which I love to see. A right. full line change you got to do. Yeah, he's like, get it in deep and we'll roll these lines. Yep, and he's just like, change on the fly and then the referee was like, please don't do that. So <laughs> they, they was not good, but they got a point and they're back in action against Wayne Rooney and DC United on uh, Saturday. Before we go to break... And they still have a chance, they still have a chance to get like second in the conference or, was, they, or they could finish seventh. It wasn't a disaster of a result. Like if, if they lost, yeah. it would have been pretty bad because they would have been closer to the playoff bar than the top four. And, and the overall, the overall seven games that they played on the road, I think you'd give them a pretty good grade. Oh, absolutely. They did more than enough, right? And they didn't crater their season, which traditionally they've done on the road. So uh, it's good for the Vancouver Whitecaps. I do want to carve out a couple minutes here to talk about the biggest trade of the offseason, not maybe in all the sports, is Damian Lillard goes from the Portland Trailblazers to the Milwaukee Bucks out of nowhere. Nowhere. Bruff and I were on the show yesterday talking about Toronto's chances. We were talking about Miami's chances. Nobody was talking about Milwaukee's chances. It's a three-team trade. I won't go through all of it right now, but the Bucks get Lillard. The Blazers and Suns really fundamentally alter their rosters in the process. The biggest departure from Milwaukee in this one is Drew Holiday. Can we play the Stephen A. Smith audio? Because I think it really captures exactly what this does and how much this has altered the power structure in the NBA. This is Stephen A. Smith yesterday in the aftermath of this blockbuster trade. What the Milwaukee Bucks represent now with Giannis and Dame in the lineup together. If you were to come up with one word, one sentiment to describe Damian Lillard teaming up with Giannis Attentacumpo, which is still a pinch me for me, what would that be? Lethal. Oof, good one. Easy. Lethal. Because? Lethal, because now you got to remember, Giannis doesn't have to come downhill towards you now. You see what I'm saying? He doesn't have to be driven the ball the full length of the court, coming downhill and doing things that way. That's to his advantage. But now when he kicks it out, he's got somebody to kick it out to that's a sniper, that is a closer. And more importantly, when the game is on the line, you're not looking for Giannis to come save the day because the one thing Damian Lillard has proven throughout his career is give him the ball when the clock is winding down and ask him to close the deal. That's his specialty. So Giannis no longer has to be worried about that to that degree. He can average just 31 and 13 and do what he does. But in the end, when it comes time to close, particularly from long range, he no longer has to worry about having that responsibility. He just got somebody that can handle that all by himself. So I'm listening to that. And I'm like nodding along. I'm like, yeah, that all makes sense. I love Stephen A. That all makes sense. Basketball, Ben, do you agree with the analysis? It's a perfect analysis. Perfect. And... I think the Bucks' main downfall in the past has been closing games with right. Giannis. It's kind of like having Shaq mm-hmm. without a guard. Like, they right. don't have a Kobe or a like, Wade. Foul him, like, foul him. Do yeah. something. Yeah. What's going to happen? I bet Giannis is going to be... Well, yeah, Giannis <laughs> yeah. can kick out to Dame now. and, and like. He, I mean, Dame can make a serious argument. He's the clutchest player in yeah. the NBA. And, mm-hmm. Well, because the funny thing is, is that the one thing that everyone made fun of with Milwaukee is that outside of, like, a couple years of Chris Middleton or maybe Drew Holiday, they never really had a bona fide like superstar to ride with and all these other guys have. And now out of nowhere, you keep Middleton 
and you get Dame. Yeah. So the Bucks are now the uh, favorites to win an overwhelming. NBA title. Yeah. Yes, uh, the Bucks favorites. Yeah. And and and, and some like low, at some books, the Bucks are like plus three sixty. Right. And, and also what like Giannis does for Dame, like Dame's problem is defense. Sure. And Giannis is a defensive stalwart. And they also kept Brooke Lopez, who is a crazy good interior presence. Can, can we talk about the possibility of a, like, Bucks nuggets series? Can you imagine how fun that would be, though? Yeah, it would be tremendous. That would be amazing. Murray and Jokic versus yeah. Damon and Giannis. Yeah, yeah, that would yeah, be yeah. awesome. Be yeah. That would be so good. Uh, so we'll talk to Bobby Marks about that and more at 7.30. Adam Burke's going to join us at 7. Drancer at 8. Coming up next, 6.30, Adam Stanley, Sportsnet golf analyst, is going to join us ahead of the Ryder Cup. Uh, from Rome, which is, uh, what's the, do you, off the top of your head, do you remember the name of the course? Yeah, they're playing at the Coliseum. Right. They did a little mini putt-putt yeah, yeah, yeah. in the Coliseum. Coliseum Greens. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I can't remember the name of the course. Can you, Ben? And, Marco uh, Simone? Yes, okay. that's it. Go. That's right. Yeah. Very good. Very well done. Golfer, so, Ben. It be- yeah, he's a golf guy, too. It begins on Friday, wraps up on Sunday. We'll talk to Adam Stanley about what is going to be a very compelling tournament over in Italy. You're listening to the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. The most comprehensive Canucks coverage in the city. Canucks Central with Dan Riccio and Satyar Shah. Be sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thursday. Happy Thursday, everybody. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet 650. Halford and Bruff in the morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. We are in hour one of the program. Hour one is brought to you by everythingfinancial.com. Financial freedom awaits. Book your introductory meeting today. Visit them online at everythingfinancial.com. Uh, Adam Stanley, Sportsnet golf analyst, is going to join us in just a moment here for a little Ryder Cup preview. Before we get to that, uh, a friendly reminder to follow Jason's instructions, dare I say orders, from the first segment. Weigh in, dear listeners, weigh in with one player, only one, and you don't even need to explain why, but one player who impressed you last night in the Canucks 2-1 overtime loss to Edmonton in exhibition action. Also, if you just want to weigh in on the game in general. We will get to that on the other side after we're done talking to Adam. Dunbar Lumber text line is 650-650. Get your what we learns in as well. Hashtag those WWL. Okay. The Ryder Cup from the Marco Simone Golf Club. and Golf Club. Got to spit that one out. Uh, it begins our time tonight. Everyone else's time tomorrow. Uh, 2023 Ryder Cup. Joining us now to preview it, Sportsnet Golf Analyst Adam Stanley here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Morning, Adam. How are you? Good morning. I'm uh, I'm doing great. How are you? Uh, we're great. We're excited for the Ryder Cup and losing sleep. I think we're going to lose yeah. a lot of sleep. So, what's your plan? Are you actually? I mean, this is this is your job to watch this stuff. Are you going <laughs> to just stay up all night and watch these matches? Yeah, it's. Uh, I have a one-year kind of just a construct, really. Right. <laughs> so it won't be all that impactful uh, for me. I I haven't I haven't quite decided what my plan is going to be, but I should probably figure it out because I know here in Eastern Time, uh, the first matches for uh, Friday and Saturday begin at one thirty in the morning, and the coverage basically goes from one thirty in the morning Eastern mm-hmm. until about noon. So, um, yeah, maybe one of those things where I just kind of like the the first half of the day, uh, maybe I don't really 
pay all that much attention to it. And I just catch <laughs> right. the highlights when I wake up. <laughs> We're off to the races. Yeah, I don't normally that. endorse watching live sports on PVR, but I think I will allow it for yeah. this we'll weekend. Um, who's the favorite for you? Let's start there. Yeah, it's, you know, it's a good question because I don't, you know, I don't think that we've had a Ryder Cup kind of this close uh, in terms of team versus team in quite some time. So I would say that Europe is the favorite to answer your question specifically. And that is even though, you know, most of this team on the American side is coming to Italy after, you know, the 19-9 win in Whistling Straits. You know, that was the largest margin of victory in the Ryder Cup since uh, I think it was the mid-1970s. Um, you know, but but playing a Ryder Cup in, in Europe is, is a totally different, uh, totally different beast. Um, Team USA has not won a Ryder Cup on foreign soil, soil in 30 years, since mm-hmm. 1993. And they haven't won uh, Ryder Cups two years or two Ryder Cups in a row uh, since earlier than that. So um, when you look at Team Europe from top to bottom, yes, they've got more rookies than Team USA, but they also have the second, third, and fourth-ranked golfers in the world. And the fourth-ranked golfer just so happens to be Victor Hovland, who comes into this championship having uh, won the last two events on the PGA tour, including the FedEx cup. So um, a lot of momentum on the side of the Europeans, obviously a lot of home home crowd pent up energy, because of course in 2021 uh, there were still COVID travel restrictions. So there wasn't that many European fans who, who mm-hmm. went to whistling straight. So for all that reasons, and probably a little bit more, I would say team Europe is, is the favorite in my opinion. Tell us a little something about this course and also how the Europeans might set it up because for those that don't know in the Ryder Cup, the whoever's hosting gets to set up the course and yeah. they can set it up to match their strengths. Yeah, I think the the short version of of the explanation about the golf course is that it's a it's a DP World Tour venue. They've had the Italian Open there uh, the last three years, and uh, two of the guys on the on the European team have won the tournament out of the last three years. So there's certainly some experience there. Uh, there's three drivable par, par fours. You know, the golf course is really going to be set up really similar to uh, the the golf course in Paris where they had the Ryder Cup uh, last in Europe, and that means to say kind of tight fairways. Really, really thick, rough, um, and, and just kind of it's a golf course setup that that is putting a premium on, on putting and, and on accuracy, which has kind of long been the European team strength versus the American side, where they just kind of bomb it all over the place, find it, chip it up, and try to make birdie and, and, and go from there. So uh, Jim Furyk, who's one of the, the vice captains of Team USA, and he's also the captain of the American President's Cup team next year in Montreal. He was in Montreal a couple of weeks ago. I was there. We were chatting. Uh, he said when they took the team to uh, Rome for the uh, for the practice kind of weekend, there was at one point, the rough is long, the rough is penal. He said at one point, somebody hit a tee ball, and they had at one point six people looking for a ball in the rough and they couldn't find it. So they need, they need the spotters. They need, uh, you know, extra eyeballs. They need the volunteers. And, and that's just kind of saying, if you don't find the fairways this week, you're, you're, you're going to be behind the eight ball for sure. Right. So what you guys are talking about, that's the reason why, like Rory has said in the past, winning a Ryder cup on the road is one of the hardest things to do in golf because it's an overwhelming challenge with the crowd and the ability to move and slant the course to fit your team. Uh, and then you look at the scores of the last two and they've been, no, they've been yeah. blowouts, right? They've been doing 19, nine. And then the previous one was 17 and a half to 10 and a half. So would you be shocked if it goes that way again? Because on paper, uh, the rosters of both teams are incredibly close. 
Yeah. So I, I think that's incredible. That, that is entirely accurate. The, the American team and the European team, top to bottom, yeah, they've both got some rookies, but then they've both got some guys kind of middle of the pack who, who need to maybe prove a few things. And then they've got obviously some, some very top heavy guys as well. So the teams are, are, are very evenly matched. I think the, uh, the separator, the difference maker is going to be the setup. Not only do uh, the Europeans uh, get to set up the golf course, but they also get to choose on days one and two, you know, which uh, format they would like to start with. Um, and, and so that kind of has a, a bit of an impact on, on things as well. So um, yeah, you know, Rory, and even if you look at the Solheim cup, which was just contested on the women's side uh, last week as well, I would say the, the American side would have been the heavy favorites there. And yet it ended up in a tie and, and Europe retained the cup uh, because it was in Europe and, and uh, Carlotta Saganda, who's from Spain where the golf course was, uh, was located, you know, she went four and oh and basically rode the home crowd all the way to the finish line. So um, yeah, I think that there are so many, you guys, obviously you talk about in tangibles with guys mm-hmm. in the, on the Canucks and, and you think about, you know, what kind of do they bring outside of just the actual skill set on, on, on the ice, you know, for, for the guys on, on the golf course, like what are the other intangibles that can impact Europe having a chance to win this versus the Americans? It's the crowd, it's the course setup, uh, and it's the actual structure of the event itself. So there's just a lot of things going against the visiting squads at Ryder Cups. So this is where we have to mention the live golf factor. Um, yeah. Brooks Kepka made the made the american team um he's the only other he's the only live golfer right he's the only yeah. guy okay was yeah. there anyone else that really deserved it because i think about the, um, the the european side and you had great rider cuppers like ian poulter lee westwood sergio garcia who all went to live golf but those guys are old now right like they probably yeah. weren't going to get picked anyway <laughs> Maybe is the only guy that might be worth discussing is DJ and whether he should have been on this team. Yeah, I think somebody on the uh, another analysis, maybe it was Brandel Chambly, maybe it was somebody, but they they kind of pointed out that I think the the defection to live really impacted the Europeans kind of captain legacy like the the run of captains Mm -hmm. upcoming including this year i mean hendrick stenson was supposed to be the captain of the european team and then of course he went to live and now it's luke donald um so for all the names that you just mentioned like they would probably be the next run of captains um versus on the american side yeah there would there would be a handful of players brooks was one but scotty scheffler said it best like the way that brooks played in the major championships if brooks played literally just a single pga tour event (laughs) made the cut he would have earned enough points to uh, to make the team automatically, like on merit. So I think it was a no-brainer that Brooks would have been on this squad. Uh, Bryson, I mean, he kind of made certainly at the last Ryder Cup, but he also was making noise recently, saying like, "Hey, I didn't even get a phone call." But his second win on Live, you know, at, in, in Chicago, it came you know two weeks after the team has been picked. So I think he's just making noise for the sake of making noise. Justin Johnson is, I think, the only guy on the Live side on Team USA that could have kind of made a case for also being picked. He admitted it himself, though. You know, he didn't play very well in the majors this year. Uh, he did go 5-0-0 at the last Ryder Cup. So if DJ, and he very clearly is still friendly with all these guys, and he kind of didn't, you know, like the place on fire as he was leaving to go to live. So had DJ played better at the majors, uh, I think there would have been enough kind of groundswell from the existing guys on the team to say, hey, let's take a hard look at, at, at Dustin Johnson kind of being part of this squad as well. But, you know, the fact of the matter is he just didn't play all that well. And 
and, and Brooks did. With all due respect to his fifth place finish at the Fortnite Championship, uh, was Justin Thomas the the? Would you have picked Justin Thomas, or would you have gone with someone else? Yeah, I think I, I would have. And and there's been you know almost a month of, of kind of going back and forth about this. And you know at the end of the day, it's the Ryder Cup team, and and when they trot twelve guys out there, they want to have the best team possible. And and you think about how. Justin Thomas has been, you know, a, a spark plug on some of these teams, how obviously everyone gets along with him, how there's a natural pairing with Jordan Spieth. You know, some of those other guys that were in the mix, um, you know, like Keegan Bradley, like Lucas Glover, um, even like a Russell Henley who was 17th or 18th and he's the best putter on the PGA Tour, what kind of asset could he have been? He doesn't hang out with any of those guys. And, yeah, I, I'm fully cognizant and aware that, you know, the rationale – for picking Justin Thomas is based on, you know, boys club kind of mentality. But, you know, at the end of the day, if, if nobody else out of the nine, 10, 11 other guys kind of knows a person is friendly with that person, it, there there's extra layers to how, who is this guy going to get along with for 18 mm-hmm. holes? Where can we install him in the, in the system and et cetera, and et cetera, and et cetera. And Justin Thomas, there just, just wasn't any of those, any of those worries. Um, and, and and who knows, you know, he has been playing stroke play golf for, for two years. And, and obviously this year, non-factor, the majors hasn't really played all that great um, with that body of work over the last 10 months. But, you know, this is a match play uh, exhibition style event. And, and who knows, he's always stepped up to the plate uh, at these kind of events over the last number of years. And, and there, there's no, no reason why he couldn't kind of break out of his funk uh, at an event like this. Do you think Victor Hovland's going to be a big factor at this tournament? Probably the biggest factor, yeah. I would say, if, if I was going to just provide kind of a short answer there. I mean, you look, again, we use the the turn of phrase, you know, body of work, and, and Justin Thomas has, over the last calendar year, has not been all that all that good, but you look at Victor Hovland's, and we're talking polar opposites. We're talking about someone who is absolutely dialed with all aspects of, of his game. Even a casual sports fan, if they kind of do a quick look at, at Hovland's uh, PGA Tour page, whether it's results or, or statistics or, or any or money or wins or anything, they, they're going to say, wow, this this guy's got something going on. And it might have been too early for you guys, but Victor made a hole in one in his practice round this morning on a par four. Oh, so, well, that's good. <laughs> I just yeah, watched so that, it, actually. That, I just watched it. Yeah, that, that will work out not so bad. So, yeah, I mean, I think on, on the U.S. side, we talked about JT. He's got a lot to prove. I think Scotty Scheffler, obviously, <clears throat> the number one guy, on the, on the United States side has been absolutely horrific with the putting. Uh, so that's going to be something to watch out for. Mm-hmm. Howell Wyndham Clark and Brian Harmon, uh, rookies, but older guys, major champs this year, kind of out of nowhere, major champs. How will they handle the pressure? Um, so I think there's some unique storylines on the U.S. side. And then certainly uh, how does Rory's role as, as a seven-time Ryder Cupper, as a, as a veteran now, how will he fit in? And then, of course, as we talked about, the Victor Hovland factor uh, did not play all that great at the previous Ryder Cup that he was in at Whistling Straits, only earned uh, one point, uh, two halves. And uh, and this year he's going to be called upon to basically be Victor Hovland and, and see where we net out at the end of the week. Sometimes I wonder when guys like Brian Harmon win a major, if like Zach Johnson was quietly like, oh, God, now he's going to be on the team. Like, yeah. do you know what I mean? Like, he's 36 years old. Yeah. You know, hardcore golf fans know who Brian Harmon is, right? But um, when he won that major, it's kind of like, okay, he's got to be on the team now. He's going to earn his way onto the team now. But was this just a blip? 
Or can this guy yeah. care? Like you, you would have honest questions about whether or not he's a Ryder Cup caliber type of player. Yeah, and I think that that is something that you know maybe some of the the Twitter keyboard warriors were, were wondering <laughs> a little bit more about uh, <laughs> as, as the summer went on. You got to think we got Wyndham Clark on this squad. We yeah. got thirty six year old five foot nine Brian Harmon <laughs> on this squad. Like where are where are the the, the re, where are the guys? You know where where are our usual our usual fellas? And where's Tony Finau? You know, come on guys, mm-hmm. get get this moving. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, it's, it's golf and, and the, there's no pictures on the scorecard and you can trot out any cliche you want. Um, Brian Harmon is like really, really good at things that the United States team has not been all that great at, at these things over the last number of years. He puts the lights out his yeah. wedge game and short game. He's very Mike Weir esque with mm-hmm. from a hundred yards and in. And I think that they, uh, they seem to be pairing him with Brooks Kefka. And all of a sudden, if you're going to let Brooks Kefka hit, you know, hit the filling out of the golf ball and let Brian Harmon just knock it in close from 70 yards. Or, you know, if, if uh, Brooks is off the fairway a little bit and then, or, or hits it in, but hits it to 35 feet, you know, Brian Harmon's got a real chance to make that putt. So yeah, you know, at the, at the end of the day here, um, you got to play the cards you're dealt. If you're Zach Johnson and, and those two guys went out, had career years, they earn their places on the team, and, and now it's up to him and the stats guys and the vice captains and, and all those people in the in the team room to decide where they're going to be inserted. I, I think Brian Harmon, I think, makes sense in a lot of different ways. I think Wyndham Clark is kind of my, my wild card. I don't know really who he hangs out with. I don't really know, um, you know, his entire top-to-bottom skill set. You know, obviously he won twice this year, including a major, so he, he's got the juice, but um, different animal, different setting different kind of vibe being a part of a team and 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 yeah we're really gonna have to see how that goes but your question specifically was yeah what okay guess we gotta make this work somehow (laughs) i mean you make a good point because most of these things they just come down to putting like i i'm still trying to recover from the way the canadian guys putted at the president's cup like it was it was hard to watch they couldn't make putts and you know as a result they didn't win um enjoy this tournament adam Ryder cup on european soil Always a fun watch, even if it's in the middle of the night. Yeah, it should should be great. Should be a really exciting uh, exciting week. Two two really neat teams, evenly matched teams going at it. Should be awesome. Thanks, Adam. Appreciate it. That's Adam Stanley, Sportsnet golf analyst here on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet six fifty. I did the research during the interview. Brian Harmon, uh, not related to the star of the nineteen eighty seven classic movie Summer School, Mark Harmon. No, he wasn't not no, related. No, not related. No. It's a good movie though. Yeah, they have the same names, but they are. They are not related. Right. And actually, I, I like Mark I, Harmon is now old enough to be Brian Harmon's dad. So <laughs> I like the discussions around golf. He's like, he's only 5'9". I'm like, well, what? Is he not going to be able to get in on the forecheck or something like that? It's golf. Make your putts, right? Yeah. He's going to be intimidated. Yeah, we need Tony Fino. We need a little more size on this team. Tony Fino is a big dude. Fair enough. And at one point, Bryson was big. Remember when Bryson was like... Walking yeah. around like a professional bodybuilder. Mm-hmm. That was so much You're fun. Losing badly, you bring out John Daly from the, the benches, you know? Yeah. I got, saw, John I saw, Daly has a foreign object on him, like one of the <laughs> old wrestling managers. So Eiffel Assault. So John Daly, as basketball Ben probably knows, is all over Instagram golf. And, like, he'll do a lot of stuff. Like, all of a sudden, I'll be f- flipping around him on Instagram. and like, here's John Daly doing a belly flop at yep. the lake. Yeah. <laughs> like, ah, good. So really? earlier this year, you missed. That's what he's up to. You were talking about <laughs> NHL Deputy Commissioner Bill Daly, but you said NHL Deputy Commissioner John Daly. 
Oh, did I? And I chimed in, and I'm like, actually, John Daly's the commissioner of good times. I think that should be his title. <laughs> that's, save. That's, that's, that's very accurate. That's, what he, that's it, yeah, he right? What is John Daly all times. about right now? Good times, right? I remember w- watching John Daly at Shaughnessy at the Canadian Open. He, he yeah, got an invite too. there. and like, Didn't go great. No, but he he can hit the ball real far. Yeah. I You never, guys want to watch me sock some dingers? I've never seen anyone consume more Diet Coke. And sugar, yeah. Well, he kind of had the infamous time at the GVO, not Shaughnessy, but out of Northview. You know, twenty years. Sorry, that was the one. That was the one that I. No, no, no. I. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Right. He most recently when the Canadian Open was at Shaughnessy. Um, Let's talk a little bit more about the Canucks last night. News scored for the Canucks on the power play. Quinn Hughes is going to be shooting the puck a lot, apparently, Mm -hmm. based on. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Him shooting everything. Um This was a plan last, last year though, remember? Yeah. And then you kind of bristled at the idea. Well, I do. I still bristle at it. But right? You shouldn't like, bristle. Well, he, he you should he, embrace it. He's good the, at it. He's really good. Is at he? It. How many goals did he score last season? Not enough because he needed to shoot more. Okay. Yeah. Well, we'll see. We'll see. I think just think he's such a dynamic playmaker that you're talking about the opportunity cost of him shooting. Talkett spoke last night and said that like it's the ability to walk the blue line that he has and a lot of other guys don't that open up shooting opportunities and passing aren't opportunities. There. No shooting opportunities, only shooting. We're gonna get selfish here. No, I'm, he, I, I, he's the captain now. He's got to get selfish. Yeah, I mean, if you can get the shot on net and then more importantly get guys to go to the net and pick up rebounds or get tips, that's fine. But he just doesn't have a good enough shot to be like. The guy who sh- I'd rather let put it this way. I'd rather see Petey shooting more on the power play. But I think I think we're talking about like he doesn't have an overwhelmingly powerful shot, is what you're no. saying. But um, I don't think that that's the way the the modern game is skewed anyway. Like you don't no, have the big no. clapper from the point, Ally Afraidy. Like, no, you know. But but that if he's going to shoot a lot, the Canucks are going to have to do a really good job of going to the net. Exactly what I said. Whether you're screening the goalie because Hughes is taking, um, like he is creating new shooting lanes, and I imagine for a goalie when Quinn Hughes has the puck, uh, you know, at the top there, you're kind of like, okay, this could come in quickly and I'm not exactly sure which angle it could be. So it's on the other Canucks on the team to create more confusion for the goalie so that the goalie isn't just seeing Quinn Hughes' shot mm-hmm. because he's just going to be like, oh, there's a throw to first, right? Like, I'll just glove okay. this. But I think, and in, in terms of like concept and strategy, because he's been told that he needs to shoot more. I mean, that was the thing last year where they were like, uh, we want you to look at some of the shot tolls like Roman Yossi in Nashville. Where he was was he in, told that, or was he saying that no, himself? No, no, he said it was pointed out to him. Like, look at the shot totals of mm. the guy. Because, okay, so last year, for example, I don't want to belabor this, but there was about ten defensemen that had fifteen goals or more last year, mm-hmm. and the names are like as you would expect: Darlene, Morrissey, McCarr, Carlson, all yeah, the yeah. high end elite guys, mm-hmm. right? So I do wonder if that's something that. I mean, and it, I'm sure it drives him. Yeah, I'm part, sure. But part of you, this you is understand finding things for an elite guy to get even better at, right? You understand what I'm. Rules. You understand what I'm talking about when I'm talking about the opportunity cost of him shooting, right? Right. There, there are just other guys on the Canucks power play that I that I think have better shots and more dangerous shots, and if Quinn Hughes can set them up, I think I want to see those shots. But I don't know. Like I'm, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna criticize Quinn Hughes. All I said is that when I heard he wants to shoot more because he wants to score more goals, I was like, okay, I, I don't know if that's the best way to approach it, but I'm an idiot, 
right? That's like true. that's that's the other side of the argument. Mm-hmm. I'm an idiot, and Quinn Hughes isn't. Well, th- I think the other thing Just to too, play devil's advocate. No, no, no. But the other thing too is when you throw out uh, when you throw out a comp of a guy like Roman Yossi, you're setting the bar super high because mm-hmm. Yossi's one of the best defensemen in the NHL, and he's one of Norris. So if you're talking about well, what parts of your game could increase? There's, it's a twofold thing. One, Hughes can take it as something. It's like, yeah, there's a room where I can grow. Instead of being a single-digit goal sure. scorer, I want to get double digits. Two, your team is also going to have to score more, right? I mean, that's an inevitability. You want to get better in all facets as a team. Here's the thing. If the Canucks want to make the playoffs this year, they need to be better in everything. Everything across the board has to be better. So they have to allow fewer goals. They have to score more goals. Everyone needs to be better because they weren't good last year. Mm-hmm. I and mean, this is just a straightforward thing. So to see Hughes, I mean, and again, uh, based on what I saw last night, like very, you don't want to read too much into the preseason, but first game as a captain, wearing the C, and he was just, he's a do- dominant as per usual, yeah. right? All the things that he's able to do out mm-hmm. there. So it's, it's that, those were all positive signs. God, it's nice having a defenseman like him, isn't there? Yeah. We and only if- have to wait, what, 50 years? And another thing, too, if you want to go back and subscribe to my earlier theory, and you can pick up my brochure, I leave them outside the 650 studio. Rich eyes. That they're going to be a more low-event team this year, which I think it might be baked into the recipe of talking hockey. You know what that we, we rely on it, to create offense is individual brilliance. It's mm-hmm. like, ah, let's get the puck to Petey and see right. what he can do in this instance. Or let's let Quinn do the things on the ice that other guys can't do. And maybe we'll win 3-2 because we'll have a couple moments of brilliance from those guys. Let Miller go one-on-one with the guy. And we'll see if that's the way that they're going to play this year. And then Verk is going to join us next to talk a little baseball as the playoff playoffs are approaching. Uh, looks like the Blue Jays will be part of them. Does not look like the Seattle Mariners will be part of them. You're listening to the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650.